The Liberals have briefly capitulated to push back from the firearms community on their latest gun grab. How long is this going to last? I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. questions about um, Olympic participation. But how, so how many go to the Olympics with you when you go? Uh, so the last two Olympics, I was the only pistol shooter. Um, previous to that in 2012, um, there was only one pistol shooter as well. I think that we've had a pistol shooter in the, uh, in the Olympics every, every summer Olympics. I'm going to say since at least the, probably their early eighties when they, they kind of split off, um, men and women's events. Um, they've definitely had women in every event. I think since, uh, 1984, there was even a gold medal at the 1984 Olympics in women's pistol shooting. Um, there's also been a long history of. Uh, male pistol shooters as well. Um, we have, since they changed the rules for how we qualify, there's been smaller shooting teams, I think, since 1996, um, based on how qualifications work. Um, but prior to that, there was a, there was a significant shooting teams um, across the rifle, the pistol, and the shotgun disciplines that are available within the shooting sports. Um, and I think I, I could be wrong, but we've been participating as Canada in shooting sports. Um, since the early 1900s, for sure. The, the numbers I got were 16 in pistol shooting and 84 in, uh, in the, in the, um, with long guns. Uh, so we're not talking about a lot of people here, but there is an exemption for elite Olympic shooters like yourself, is there not? Sure there is, but how do you become an elite pistol shooter without training? How do you become an elite pistol shooter... Do do you just come off the street and say, you know what, I think I'm going to be a, I'm going to be an Olympic volleyball player today. It takes years of training. It takes years of, of, of work and effort to put into it. There's the rule of about 10,000 hours to become a, an expert in anything. And yet we're going to limit the people who are allowed to have an exemption to the people who are already champions, who are already winning, who are already Olympians. That means that you get rid of the entire sport. How do you prove that you want to become a, a, a professional or Olympian in something before you actually can prove that you are. But, but what we're talking about is 16 people um, in the entire country. And right now it's just you. Um, this You're is talking about 16 people who become Olympians. Do you understand how right. many other people who are competing against them? There's a huge amount of people okay. competing against them. We have teams, we, I, I have teammates that I train with all the time who have not made the Olympic level yet, but yet you're going to restrict their equipment to, to say that they can never achieve. That makes no sense. So, so, it's, and it's you like, know, it's like telling soccer players you, that you can, you want to be a soccer player, but you have to be, you have to be a, an Olympic soccer player before you can actually have a ball. That's well, what you're it's saying. not. I mean, gun ranges are still allowed to import, buy, and sell, um, import and, and buy um, pistols as well. But I, I mean, I. What you just saw there is a clip from a SECU hearing. So, SECU. 
is shorthand for the Standing Committee on Public Safety and National Security. And that was an Olympic sports shooter telling the liberals that your ban on handguns is going to destroy the sport for me, but basically outlaw the sport for any prospective Canadian going forward because how do they practice their sport? How do you even get into the sport if the tool you need to do the sport no longer exists? And that was a liberal, Pam Danoff, having absolutely no idea how to respond to that because she hadn't even thought of that because I'm not sure she has even really thought about this issue at all beyond standard liberal talking points that say fewer guns means safer people. And we know that it's just not true because when the liberals say fewer guns, they don't really mean fewer guns. They mean fewer guns in the hands of the law abiding. They don't really seem to be all that focused on getting them out of the hands of the bad guys. Now, joining me today is uh, Rick Igersich. He's the president of the National Firearms Association, and his team has been pushing back on this issue. Well, since always, it's why they exist, but really leading the charge at SECU. So let's hear from Rick. So joining me now is good friend of the show, Rick Igersich. He's the president of the National Firearms Association. And it's to my great embarrassment that it's been a while since Rick's been on the show. And I wanted to have him back on because things are changing with firearms legislation and firearms rights. It seems as though we had a bit of a win back in January um, as the public pushed back against the Liberals' latest attempts to ban your lawfully obtained property. Um, but again, uh, the Liberals not ones to be deterred um, from their own bad ideas. They are still pushing headlong into the latest gun grab. Rick, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, tell us what what changed in January and now sort of what's happening in gun control legislation here in Canada. Thanks for having me on again, Sheila. There's been, you know, we haven't, we haven't, uh, we haven't done anything together for a while, but we've been both pretty busy. There's a yeah. lot of stuff going on in the gun world right now. Uh, the big thing right now is uh, Bill C-71. Uh, as most people know, it all started with uh, uh, the, the uh, first reading of C-71. Then uh, then uh, it finally, it's in secu right now. But uh, Bill C-71, as most people know, was the complete ban on the movement of handguns in Canada. And that includes uh, you can't air, you can't give away, you can't sell, you can't do anything with your handguns. Basically, it's yours till you pass away. Then it goes back to the government for destruction. But with that bill, there's all kinds of other stuff going on. Uh, as the liberals have been pushing, uh, the big thing, I guess, uh, we'll just uh, cut to the chase. At the 11th hour, they decided to add a couple amendments to the bill. Uh, the first was uh, G4, which is what they call their Evergreen Amendment, which describes a so-called assault weapon basically by how it looks. Nothing short of ridiculous. There is there is a there's a definition for assault rifles, military assault rifles, and uh, the ones that the uh, the ones that uh, Trudeau's liberals have listed are not military assault rifles, and they're and they're not they're not even close to the same. But uh, anyway, that was that was the first part. That was the that was the G four part of the uh, of the amendment. And then in the like I say, this all happened in the eleventh hour. The G forty six amendment, and this was a piece of work. Uh, number one, it added 400 types of uh, basically hunting rifles and shotguns. Uh, but with that, you know that that was uh, that was uh, that that number 
was uh, was the actual uh, the base copies of these rifles. There was several hundred variants that were attached. The, the word that the liberals just love when it comes to firearms is variant. Mm-hmm. Basically, if it has a muzzle and a stock, it's a variant of something. So It's a variant yeah. of an assault rifle. Everything is an, a variant of an AR to these people. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, with that, they added they added uh, these 400, uh, 400 shotgun uh, hunting shotguns and rifles and, and, and firearms like uh, with a lot of people that are familiar with is a Ruger number one, a single shot hunting rifle that you have to open the breech, put one cartridge at a time, close the breech and fire. That was on the list. They yeah. added a bunch of shotguns uh, that were. Uh, uh, Benelli was a, a real good example of because it was a gas operated semi-automatic shotgun. They added a a bunch of other shotguns that were gas operated and semi-automatic. It was just ludicrous. The whole thing was ludicrous. But then it got better. They decided to attach the original order and council to G46. Now, I believe the reason they did that, because when they first did the order and council, they uh they were always talking about this uh, buyout or buyback or uh, compensation for your firearms. But I think in a real, they really tried to deceive us by attaching this to G46 because when they did attach the original order of counsel, there was no mention of any sort of buyback or compensation. So it was a, it was a devious move on their part. Uh, luckily, luckily, uh, they they were getting a lot of pressure from uh, lobby groups like ours, uh, indigenous people, uh, uh, hunters, hunters. A, a lot of pressure was coming in from hunters, and uh, even some of the liberals in the liberal ridings were getting immense pressure from uh, gun owners in their ridings. So basically, at the at at the end of the day, they they withdrew those two amendments, but. That that just uh, that just a false olive branch because I'm sure those amendments will be back in uh, in the next little while. I just I was talking to our lobbyists today, and uh, all secu meetings, like I mentioned earlier, secu meetings are canceled for this week. Uh, it's uh, there, I, I think there's a lot of reasons, and I think the biggest one right now is that uh, they don't know where to where to go. They've been uh, they've been interviewing a ton of witnesses. Uh, our, our people have been providing a lot of witnesses and. Uh, they're basically unchallenged. Uh, Callan Langman, great example. You know, uh, peer-reviewed report that's 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 carved in stone. You can't, you know, Dr. Callan Langman. You can't challenge that. Uh, uh, the the other one that uh, that we jumped on at the FN or at the at the NFA was uh, Linda Keiko. She uh, she uh, gave evidence, and uh, Pam Damoff challenged her on a bunch of points. And uh, she had all the answers and basically, uh, without exaggerating, had Pam Damoff stuttering because she didn't know how to respond to her. Uh, you know, she mentioned th- uh, Pam Damoff, well, there's only 16 Olympic. It's, it's all about this. Uh, I should probably clarify that first. It's all about this clause in the amendment where they would still provide firearms or allow Olympic shooters to obtain firearms. But uh, with that, their argument with that was, well, you know, she asked Linda, how many how many uh, female Olympic shooters are there in Canada? Well, Linda says, well, I'm the only one. She says, well, you know, she's, all, you know, she thought, well, you know, I got you there. And then, uh, well, she said, well, my my research shows that uh, this is Pam Damoff speaking. I'm quoting Pam Damoff. My, re- my research shows that there's 16 uh, Olympic shooters in Canada right now. 
Uh, then it goes back to Linda and Linda makes a statement. Well, yeah, there's 16, there's 16 people, but how do you get there? How do you get exactly. these firearms to become a, a Olympic shooter? How do you find people to train with to, uh, to get up to that elite level of shooting? There's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people involved in just the Olympic side of things. And it's just not Olympic shooting. There's IPSC, IDPA. There's a bunch of other, uh, uh, world sanctioned events that, uh, that, that use handguns. So at the end of the day, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Pam Damoff didn't really have any sort of rebuttal to that. And, uh, you know, it's a small, it's small stuff like that, Sheila, that, uh, with these meetings that, uh, you know, they, they bring this stuff to the forefront and then they ask these questions then they then they then they get beat up on it then they go away for a week and come back with a bunch of new stuff i'm just sitting here like i have been for the last few months waiting for the next batch to come out you know that's the thing uh, i said to you off camera it's like people who've never even seen a car let alone driven a car in their lives making the rules of the road and that's what we've got as firearms owners in this country when we're dealing with the liberals trying to write gun control legislation they have no idea even what the existing legislation is i mean basically they're saying that this is the last generation of olympic sports shooters that's what this law creates um i wanted to ask you we touched you mentioned very briefly on the cost of the buyback program. The liberals are saying it's two hundred million dollars to buy back, which I think is a bad way to describe them confiscating and compensating the victims of the confiscation because yeah. they never owned these things in the first place. The parliamentary budget officer says it's going to be close to eight hundred million. If history repeats itself and with the liberals it's prone to i think it's probably going to be four times that by the time that we're done but i went looking for that 200 million dollar estimate i wanted to know where they got it from and they can't give me it i asked um public safety for any financial analysis whatsoever on any of their gun control measures dating back to January 1st, 2020. I tried to catch something from any of these three successive gun grabs. I got seven pages of heavily redacted nonsense of just bureaucrats talking in between each other, not a single dollar amount in there. So I don't even know where they started with this $200 million amount. Do you guys have a clue? Uh, no, my, my opinion <laughs> is they just pulled it out of the air. Uh, yeah. Number one, you know, uh, with this, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, going back to the original order in council that's up over 1800, 1800 types of firearms, types and variants of firearms right now. Number one, the only ones they they have on on the record are the AR-15s. They're the, they're the only ones that were registered. Uh, in my humble opinion, they don't even know how many of these other firearms are out there. So, how can you come up with a number when you number one you don't know how many of of these firearms you're buying? You know if if every if everybody complies with the law and decides to turn this in, there there could be hundreds of thousands, if if tens of thousands of these firearms show up that they they don't even know that are in the country right now and, and who's in Rick, possession. That's such a good point because these guys are banning the SKS. They have no idea how many of those are in the country. <laughs> That, they've, that's they've, funny. <laughs> they've they've moved things from completely just go to the gun store, buy one, go to a gun show, buy one to you can't own them anymore. How the hell are they ever going to find them? And as you say, they're banning things that they don't even realize they're banning, like airsoft guns. So how exactly. do you, how are you compensating people? For, how are you able to measure the value of the compensation program 
when you don't even know what you've banned to be compensating people for. Well, you know, and and, and that's a that's a great point with the SKS. You know, I you know we 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 spoke about this before you and I, and uh, you you were under the impression there's about two hundred thousand, and I thought there was a lot more. I think it's in close Canada. to a million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and nobody nobody knows because uh, back in the day, those things used to come by the crates, and I remember you could you could go to Canadian Tire if you bought one for one hundred forty nine dollars, you could buy a if you bought a whole crate of them, you could buy them for ninety nine dollars a piece. <laughs> And uh, they were just coming in left, right, and center into Canada. So how many's out there? Nobody knows. Uh, Airsoft, prime example. You know these these guys. And I've I've spoke to a bunch of airsoft people in Ontario here, and uh, they spend more on these airsoft rifles than some of us do on our hunting rifles. It's it's amazing the money these people and the money they put back into the economy is 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 crazy and. Uh, the, if they ban these airsoft rifles, there's no mention of compensation for airsoft anywhere. Actually, like I said earlier, with if they if they attach the OIC to to one of their amendments on C21, I realistically believe that they're trying to get around this whole uh, buyback thing. You know, I, I don't I don't think they want to pay any compensation. Number one, like you mentioned, they don't even have a clue on how many of these rifles are out there and. Uh, you know, this could lead to the millions and billions of dollars. You know, how do you put an estimate on something like that, Sheila? I have, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's the, it, it goes back to the same old liberal thing. You know what? We'll, we'll, we'll make up a bunch of numbers. We'll make up a bunch of, uh, we'll, uh, the bureaucrats and the politicians will make up a bunch of rules and we'll apply them. And, uh, and Canadians, Canadians will go for it just, just because that's what Canadians do. Well, I think they're seeing a little shift in that now, you know, with what's been going on in the last couple of years. You, you know, uh, it's not just the firearms or the airsoft for that matter. It's the businesses that are being destroyed by this too. Um, you know, you, Wolverine Arms is a great example of this. You know, they make one variant or a couple of variants and they're both outlawed. So their business is being destroyed. Airsoft is, it, it's not just the guns. It's the facility. It's the property. I know there's an airsoft place that's just sort of north of where I am. My kids love to go there. Um, and the, it's an enormous property. So much work has been put into it. And if the liberals get their way, that guy's business is completely destroyed. And he's stuck with property in the middle of nowhere that he can't use now. Exactly. And, you know, we're forgetting one thing also, the, the logistics on this whole thing. Yeah. How much money is it going to cost them? to uh to uh go out and start collecting these guns and storing them and uh, allegedly destroying them how much money is that going to cost you know I, you know four provinces have already said they're not going to use uh police resources uh police resources to uh to start going around and uh start confiscating these guns uh Unfortunately, Ontario, Doug Ford, Ontario hasn't jumped on board yet. I don't know why, but uh, well, I, I, I've got my ideas. I, you know, it's all about federal funding and stuff. But uh, it, it just uh, it, the resources this is going to take. I, I don't think I don't think they took into account anything more than let's let's uh, let's uh, have another political wedge issue and uh, use firearms. I think I think that's what they they jumped into and without thinking anything out, in my opinion. You're telling me the liberals didn't think anything out in advance. Rick, are you crazy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it. it is. Uh, I live in one of those provinces where our premier is standing up to the feds on this issue and saying, like, look, we in our communities, we have real problems, opioids, crime um, that 
you know, we can't be wasting strained police resources on going after people who weren't criminals yesterday um, and confiscating their property. And it puts the police, especially in rural communities, in a very, very difficult position because, um, you know, many of them are sports shooters and hunters just like us. Um, you don't get into policing, I think, by and large, to go around hassling the law abiding. You want to put dirt bags behind bars. And exactly. uh, it, it, I think it's so demoralizing to good cops to have to be faced with, with doing these sorts of things to their neighbors. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, you know, you're talking about the West and Saskatchewan and Alberta, the rural areas, you know, sometimes from what I've been hearing from my people is sometimes, you know, you, you have, you have to call the police and they don't show up for two or three hours or the next day. Yeah. So they don't even have the resources to go out where there's a real crime being committed. So how are they going to go out and go from, and you know, basically it's going to be have to be door to door because unless it's a registered firearm, right. How do they know? How do they know what you have? You know, they're, they're counting on Canadians to, you know, just to uh, bow down and just, uh, and, uh, you know, just to give everything back. But even the people that decide to do that, how are they going to, how are they going to, you know, what, there, there's nothing in place that they could go to collect all these firearms. Like, like we talked about earlier about SKSs. I'm sure that most rural people in uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Manitoba, and, and the territories, yeah. And the Yukon, I'm sure every I'm sure every second or third a household has an SKS. So how do you go out and ban? How do how do you go out and seize that? I have um, you know it just the whole, when you look at you know somebody looking from the outside of the big picture of this, it just it just uh, it's a big mess that nobody they don't know what direction anything's going to go, but they're just guessing at everything. Well, and you know, it was really a solution in search of a problem. When you look at the people that the liberals were consulting with versus the people they weren't consulting with on their gun control legislation, they weren't consulting with uh, sports shooters, hunters, Olympians, um, the trappers, the Fur Institute of Canada, indigenous groups. They didn't really consult with any of them. They were consulting with uh, liberal academics and busybodies, feminist groups, uh, in lawyers. urban munis- lawyers in yeah. urban municipalities, uh, doctors who are very agenda driven, they're the same climate change doctors that are wanting yeah. to ban your guns. They were consulting with all of those people. And again, when you have all of those people who have never been in a room with a gun telling you what the laws are when they don't know what the laws are, you just end up with this absolute disaster of legislation, what we're seeing before us. Yeah, you know, you know, a real good example, you know, just uh, the people they were consulting with and uh, the public safety minister, Marco Mendocino, you know, when the, when all these SECU meetings were going on, decided to go up to the territories to, uh, to an, I, I don't know if it was an Inuit village or whatever it was. And basically, it was nothing but a big photo op for him. Uh, you know, he, they made it look like, oh yeah, you know, he's out in the cold and, you know, he's showing these rifles and everybody was, uh, everybody was showing them their rifles and they need these to survive and stuff. But I think what really happened was he walked off the plane, put on a bunch of furs and stuff and stood there for five <laughs> minutes and, uh, talked to a couple of uh, village elders and, uh, you know, asked them what guns they use to, uh, to provide sustenance to their people and basically jumped back on the plane and flew back to Ottawa. It's, it was all nothing but a giant photo op. Uh, that, that, that's all it was. And that's, you know, and that brings up my next point. This is all 
This isn't about guns. This isn't about public safety. This is all about trying to get elected in the next election. Uh, I think every time we've spoke, Sheila, we've always mentioned that uh, Justin Trudeau gets gets in some hot water and, and he goes to the firearms owners as a scapegoat every time w- without yeah. fail. But what I've been seeing, and I, I'm sure this is happening all across the country, I've been talking to my directors, people are starting to finally wake up and say, hey, you know what? Every time there's election, you try to lay down some ridiculous uh, laws on law-abiding things. Uh, law-abiding Canadians, as far as firearms go, uh, we're tired of it. We we need to we need to, re- to we we need to speak about the real issues, not uh, not using the the firearms issue as a as a wedge issue every election. I think I think that that in my opinion, this is where all of this is going is towards the next election to try to get himself elected. Yeah, I mean, he's got to get elected through Toronto. Um, And Toronto is plagued by gun crime. And it's really easy to go after the law abiding as opposed to actually deal with what is causing the increase in gang violence in Toronto. And it has a lot to do with Justin Trudeau's open border policies um, where guns are illegal guns are coming back and forth between Canada and the United States. And, you know, crime is just exploding because of it. And then there's all the other things they're not dealing with, like the opioid crisis, which leads to gang violence. This is it's a larger systemic societal problem that has nothing to do with me or you, Rick. But we're the easy guys to go after. Yeah. You know, and and food for thought, if they were to take this money, these, you know, they're talking millions. I'm talking probably over a billion dollars and for these gun seizures and, uh, and uh, you know, put that into put that into uh, crime prevention. I think they'd be. Uh, I think uh, the country would be a lot better off. You know, focus on the gangs and guns and the organized crime. Focus on the on the on the smuggled firearms. Don't focus on the ones where you know where they are and and daily vetted uh, Canadians. You know, fo- focus. Uh, put your focus to where it belongs. But somehow they refuse to do that. Somehow they they seem to think they need to go after people like you and I, Sheila. Well, Rick, I think that's a great place to leave this interview, although I won't leave it until like four months till I talk to you again. I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, tell us what uh, you guys are working on at the NFA. I know there's some things sort of that you're working on behind the scenes that uh, maybe you want to tip the bad guys um, off about but how do people support the work that you're doing and get involved with the nfa right now right now we're really focused in ottawa we're uh, we're lobbying uh, mps of all colors uh, uh the results uh, with our lobbying has been pretty good lately uh, there's been some ndps and some liberals that have been talking to us um you know our focus our focus right now is in ottawa uh, definitely versec you uh we have our legal team uh we have our legal team working uh, countless hours, coming up with uh, with uh, stuff that uh, that the the CPC can use to challenge uh, challenge the other parties at SECU. Uh, right now, we're uh, we're fanning out across the country. We're hitting gun shows. We're hitting we're hitting basically every event we can to uh, to talk to people to get people's concerns. And you know, and and. Uh, it, it's a shameless membership drive because we need we need members to fight this and we need to know who's out there that that this is affecting and that's our big thing right now we're uh you know we're definitely uh pushing hard in ottawa but we're also we're also hitting social media hard uh 
we've been uh, we've been releasing a lot of stuff that's getting a lot of views. Uh, you know, if uh, if somebody wants to have a look at our last uh, one of our last videos with uh, with uh, the Keiko video that where she challenged Pam Damoff, it's over three hundred thousand views, and that's basically unheard of for a gun organization in Canada. But people are starting to take notice. And anyway, the ways you can help: number one. Uh, if there is an election, get out and vote. Don't sit there and uh, be an armchair quarterback. Get out and vote. And number two, join a gun, join a gun lobby like the NFA. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not that expensive. All the money goes towards uh, towards uh, firearms rights. Uh, you know, follow us on uh, follow us on our social media uh, on YouTube. We're, we're we're putting stuff out all the time. We're informing people all the time. Information is key in this whole in this whole mm-hmm. thing. If we can get people educated and informed, you know, we can stop these liberals in their tracks. And that's then uh, that's what the that's the way that's uh, where the NFA is. Uh, we're working towards that right now. You know, it's it's true that even if you are not touched by this gun grab yet, you will be. Um, there yeah. are a lot of sports shooters and hunters who thought, well, I don't own a handgun, so this doesn't really affect me. I'm fine. Pretty soon the liberals came for them too. So even if you are not one yeah. of those people who is directly affected by this gun grab, and I frankly don't know how you couldn't be if you're a firearms owner, um, yeah. eventually they will come for you too. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a whole nother show about this uh, without, with this handgun freeze, you know, what's going to happen with this stuff. There's nothing in place for that either. You know, there's people, you know, just, just, a just a quick uh, conclusion sure, yeah. here. There's, there's, there's people uh, that are passing away every day and these guns are kind of sitting in limbo right now in the States and stuff, you know, there's nothing in, there's nothing in place with this stuff right now. So, you know, that, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show though, Sheila, if we can't, there's just not enough time in a day to t- talk about all this stuff. Well, Rick will make time <laughs> very <Yeah>. soon. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show. We'll have you back on, like I said, very soon. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks for having me again. Well, friends, we've come to the portion of the show where I invite your viewer feedback. I know I say this every week and it's probably getting pretty redundant, but I actually care about what you all think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News, because without you, there is no Rebel News, because we don't take a penny from Justin Trudeau. We are unlike the mainstream media in that way. Sometimes more people are paying attention to us than the mainstream media, but we want you to support us out of the goodness of your heart. And if you can't or don't want to support us, guess what? You're probably watching this for free (laughs) over on YouTube or Rumble anyway. Now, if you want to send me a letter or a comment or a question or story idea, it's really easy. I'll give you my email address right now. Got a pen? It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters in the subject line so it's easier for me to find. Not because I'm lazy, but because I get oh so many emails in a day. But also, you know what? If you're watching us on YouTube in the free version of the show or over on Rumble, um, just leave a question or a comment there. I go looking over there sometimes, um, which is exactly where I get today's, I guess it's a comment from. And it's on last week's show. Now, last week's show was with my friend Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Um, We try to be in the same place at the same time sometimes because we often, when we're out in the world, get mistaken for each other. I get mistaken for Chris Sims. Chris Sims gets mistaken for me. I guess uh, tax-hating, small government 
female conservatives with dark hair who sometimes wear glasses, we can be a little interchangeable. I get it. I don't take offense. I've been mistaken for worse people. That's for darn sure. But anyway, on last week's show, we were talking about how in Alberta, we have recently posted a $10.3 billion budgetary surplus and half of it is set for debt repayment and the other half which I think is brilliant, is restrained so that the government can only spend it on certain things in certain ways. They just can't, you know, spray it in the air. But the NDP here in Alberta, that's what they want to do. So this is important because we are approaching our election in the spring here in Alberta. We're about two months out, not even. I think it's about maybe a little more. It's just a little under 70 days before we go to the polls. And the NDP are really promising to buy everybody's love with other people's money. And they would have liked to have seen this $10.3 billion surplus just blown, uh, ideally on the public sector and government workers and inefficient government programs, obviously. The NDP, they're socialists, right? grow government, uh, make it really super expensive, and then just rob Peter to pay Paul at the end of the day. And a son of a hun, if that is even your real name, left this comment on the Rumble video. And it's not a long comment, it's, uh, but it's, it's something that I want to address because I, I see this sometimes from conservatives. And I just want to point out how crazy it is, even if it's said in jest. So son of a hun writes, arrest all NDPers, toss them down to Cuba, Notley the Nazi. Okay. I would just want to get the Notley the Nazi thing out of the way. I really, really, really dislike when people throw around that word just willy-nilly uh, because that's what the left does. Anybody with whom they disagree, they call a Nazi. And when you overuse that word, on people you disagree with, even if they have totalitarian tendencies, you take the bite out of that word. You dull the edge of the knife of that word and make it less. And the Nazis were some of the most evil creatures to ever walk the face of the earth. We should reserve that word for them and not use it to people not use it on people with whom we disagree. Even if, as I said, they have tyrannical control freak tendencies as the NDP tend to do. But with regard to the first part, arresting the NDPers and then deporting them to Cuba. Again, this is probably said in jest, but I do see it more than I would like to see it. Are we really going to arrest our political enemies? Do we really want to be like the Democrats right now in the United States threatening to arrest Donald Trump because he is going to be the presumed nominee of the Republican Party? Do we want to be like the Chinese in Hong Kong arresting the freedom leaders? Do we want to be like Justin Trudeau arresting the leadership of the Freedom Convoy? or Jason Kenney arresting pastors who stood up to his COVID mandates here in Alberta. Or if these are political ideas that we disagree with, wouldn't we use our free speech to debate these people in the free and liber liberal exchange of ideas in the public square, which is democracy, freedom, human rights. Like that's what you do in a civilized society. We don't lock up our political opponents. That's what the left does. 
Um, and tossing them all to Cuba, I mean, probably, I mean, that's, they would like us to all be Cuba, but it, we don't deport other Canadians for disagreeing with us. Again, we debate their ideas. We argue our ideas because we know they're better. We don't tell people they're less Canadian than us because they share a different political viewpoint. And I know they probably don't feel this way about me, um, but I don't care because I don't think someone's human rights are contingent on their political ideology. I just, I try not to be like the other side, or at least I do my best not to be like them. Anyway, that's the show for tonight, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who works behind the scenes to put the show together so that you have a show to watch because sometimes I send in a hot mess and they salvage it and put it together. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>